When U.S. governments shut down small businesses and forced millions of Americans to stay home and collect measly government checks while watching their livelihoods being destroyed, many Americans pushed back. Many others, however, complied. When local, state, and federal governments coerced people into walking around with worthless cloth masks to supposedly protect them from a microbial disease that spreads through aerosols, and when the president threatened to send the vaccine Gestapo to your door, many Americans resisted. Many others, unfortunately, didn't. Millions of rational people see that our government is out of control and it needs to be reined in. They recognize that it already controls too much, too many aspects of our lives, and that it would control more, all of it, if we simply let it. If we're being painfully honest, what we are seeing is tyrannical. But how tyrannical is it? And why don't all Americans see this? In this episode, we'll explore whether we've truly reached the totalitarianism stage, how we got to whatever this point is, and why there are so many people who don't see the tyrannical nature of our government. But before we get started, please remember to like this episode and to subscribe to this show to help spread the word about our work. Big tax restrictions on our content make it even harder for us to get our message out. I'm Paul Dragu, and this is Freedom is the Cure. Today, I'm joined by Daniel Natal, host of The Daniel Natal Show on The New American. Daniel, thank you for, for coming on, man. I really appreciate the information you bring to your audience, and I appreciate you coming on Freedom is the Cure. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Yeah, you recently put out uh, an episode titled The Psychology of Totalitarianism, and you bring mm-hmm. in a lot of interesting context regarding the nature of totalitarianism. You don't say outright whether the U.S. is a totalitarian state, but correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like you kind of imply it. So I think before we dive in, can you go into like, what is totalitarianism? There's a lot of terms being thrown around for what we're experiencing, the type of tyranny we're experiencing. You know, there's authoritarian and the totalitarian and lots of other eons and, and isms and whatnot. Um, describe what totalitarianism is. Okay. Um, I start, I'm going to start with two different people. One is Herbert Spencer uh, from 1873. He wrote the first book on sociology called Study of Sociology. And he makes a really great point that a society is not composed just of great men, right? Like there's a famous quote from Nietzsche and Nietzsche says that, you know, every society is nature's, you know, way of, you know, creating five or six great men. And most people think in those terms. So that when they think of France, they think of like Napoleon, they think of the Roman empire, they think of Julius Caesar, but Herbert Spencer says, no, this is the wrong way to look at it. What makes a society is actually institutions. And so every society, the real way to look at it is systematically, you know, what systems are in place, what what habits are created in a society. Um, For instance, in in the US Constitution, uh, we have the habits in our Constitution, it's an algorithm. You know, every four years we vote for a president, every six years we vote for a senator, every two years we vote for a congressman, or or then there's cultural habits, which we call traditions. Every December 25th, we have Christmas. Every, you know, 4th of July, we have Independence Day. And so these are habits that are created. And so all societies, all institutions in the society have certain habits that they create. Government has its habits. Religion has its habits. Uh, academia has its habits. Um, media, you know, culture, like all, all these different things are different institutions. And so Herbert Spencer makes a really good point 
that this is how an actual society runs if you think of it institutionally and so there was a gentleman a conservative uh, philosopher in 1941 called uh, uh, burnham and uh, so burnham said in in the managerial revolution he said the difference between a dictatorship and a totalitarian state is in a dictatorship the dictator only controls one institution the government in a totalitarian state you have people who want to control all the institutions in an integrated like you know system you know so you you have for instance right now you have blackrock and blackrock wants to control the government it wants to control the the academic uh you know institutions it wants to control the media it wants to and, and through stock ownership through you know like like money grants all these things they've amassed a massive amount of power that's that's I, I, I would say illegal. Uh, John Locke said, um, he said that tyranny is the projection of power without legal authority. So right now we have a soft totalitarianism forming where it's not actually legit, right? It's trying to make inroads. It's trying to take over our systems. Like for instance, you have the left saying, I want a separation of church and state. And so that call is a separation for different institutions, right? So I would like a separation of government and academia, separation of academia from media, separation of media, from, you know, but instead they want this, this integrated system where there's nowhere you can escape to. You're just going to get woke culture through the whole bandwidth. And that's, that's what's basically taking shape now. So. I, you, you mentioned BlackRock, the asset, the massive asset uh, manager, and I think I've done a I'm pretty sure I've done an episode on this before, and we've we've read and looked at it too. And the way that they impose, because they they own, they have so much stock and so much pull in every influential institution and company, and that's how they impose this wokeism, which I believe is not accepted by most people. Um, yeah. In your video, you had mentioned what I thought was perhaps one of the most interesting aspects of that is that, uh, I don't know from what book or where you got it from, Herbert Hoover, I, I'm guessing in the 20s when he was president, was approached by, I don't know, if, a representative or a group yeah, of Bernard representatives. Bernard Baruch. Huh? Yeah. Bernard Baruch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, about uh, implementing, I guess, or, uh, these 75 agencies to control, f to further control the, the economy. Obviously, looking back at this, uh, can you explain that instance and and, and and let's look at the the results of what Herbert Hoover ended up turning down and what versus what we have now? Yeah, well, okay, so th this is the, the first stirrings of a push from the corporate sector to impose a soft form of totalitarianism. And so Bernard Baruch was a financier. He's probably one of the most influential people in the 20th century, though nobody ever talks about him. He's never taught in school. But he did more to change our, our, our cultural and political and institutional habits than any single person. And one of the things that he did was what kids are taught is called the New Deal. Uh, at the time, it was called the Swope Plan. He had hired a guy named Gerard Swope from General Electric to put together this plan on how to integrate government and the economy for one institution to take over another institution. And so when he went to Herbert Hoover, he said, okay, we, we in corporate America created this plan where you're gonna control the economy and uh, you're gonna create 75 institutions. You're gonna create a department of agriculture, department of labor, department of energy, 75 of these, right? Uh, all uh, the, the alphabet soup agencies that, that aren't constitutional, right? You're gonna create a, a whole massive new bureaucracy with the intent of controlling the economy. And Herbert Hoover's re response to that was, this is, this is what Mussolini was doing in in fascist Italy he was like these he was like the Constitution gives me no no authority to control the economy you know I'm supposed to do the government the government is not the economy the government like according to Aristotle 
example does three things. The government is supposed to do infrastructure, the government is supposed to have a military, and the government is supposed to establish a judiciary. It is not charged with being a hospital and doing healthcare. That's a hospital. It is not charged with running the economy. It is not charged with, you know, for instance, with even doing education. You know, none of these things are under the purview of what a government is supposed to do. And so Bernard Baruch, he came in and he was like, well, you know what? Maybe the government should do education. Maybe the government should control the media. Maybe the government should control, you know. So what, what you see forming is totalitarianism. He wanted one institution to take over all the other institutions and, you know, create an integrated net network of institutions. Uh, and then, of course, corporate America would be the puppet master controlling the government. You know, so it, it was really quite a, quite a fascinating. And you can read more about this in um, Wall Street and uh, Wall Street and FDR by Anthony Sutton is the is the name of the book that I got that from. Anthony Sutton, he did. Uh, we have the yep. the trilogy on sale here, and he he did a great job of of chronicling that from from the twenties of Wall Street all the way up to I think Hitler and how mm -hmm. Wall Street funded uh, funded Hitler. Um, that's 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 obviously but that's what's happened now you know it, it's amazing to see that in the 1920s we had a president he's like whoa like we have no business doing this what are you talking about and and so in the corporate class is like you know as you mentioned is like well fine we'll support someone who will implement these now do you FDR, think that, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and and i know that one of for instance our founder robert welch of the john birch society well, in his writings, one of the things he had mentioned was the New Deal. And, you know, a lot of conservatives and constitutionalists never recovered from all the power and all the institutions that came out of the New Deal. But you look at it now, and it's almost hard, even among conservatives and whatnot. You know, we're the fringe. We're the, the crazies, the far right here, who think that government has way, way spread out in areas it does not belong. And obviously, they're, they're different school school of thoughts. But would, would you say there's a difference between, you know, what you had mentioned Aristotle. He says there are these three things that government should, should do and no more. Would you say there is almost a, a complete agreement between what Aristotle said and the way the Constitution and the Bill of Rights has established our form of government to to be yeah exactly because the founding fathers were classically trained you know they went to school and they they basically at that time period they had 10 grades and their 10 grades were based on the old educational system that was set up by cicero thousands of years ago and so they got like you know eight eight of those 10 grades were almost all cicero and so Cicero uh, was the guy who conceptualized our mixed form of government, where you have like, you know, three branches and all, all that kind of stuff. So we're, we're very patterned. All, all of our buildings are Greco-Roman buildings based on the Roman Republic and stuff. Um, so, yeah, so they had a very sound foundation and what the purpose of government was. And this is one of the things that Herbert Spencer in 1873, I, I mentioned at the outset, he um, he basically is memory hold now, like the field of sociology, which has become like a, a left wing cesspool, um, won't show their students this foundational work. And if you go to the foundational work of say evolution, which would be the origin of species, it's still taught and it's, and it's treated as if it's holy, holy script, uh, holy writ. And if, if you, if you go to economics, uh, Adam Smith's The Wealth of Nations from 1776 is still taught. But when you go to sociology, they do not want you reading Herbert Spencer. Why? Because even though he was a man of the left at the time, one 
he sounds like a, a modern conservative. He talks about the superstition of thinking that government legislation is the solution to everything because he says that's just one institution. So you can't use one institution to do to carry out the functions of another institution because it will do it wrong. It's like if if if, if the job calls for a hammer using a screwdriver. You know, so so right now, like I saw this in a debate uh, with between a conservative and a liberal, and they were talking about um, the the African American you know wealth disparities, and of course every study that looks into this says that it's actually the absence of a father in the home, you know, like family breakdown leads to all sorts of you know pernicious uh, social consequences, and um, so the actual institution that needs to be dealt with here is the family. Right. But instead, you had the liberal. Oh, well, government should come in and we'll legislate and government. Legislate. OK, well, government legislation has led to more poverty has led. Why? Because it's not good at it. You're using the wrong tool. You're using one institution to try to do the job of another institution. And I gave an example in, in my presentation on uh, Henry VIII. He kicks out the Catholic Church. And uh, once he kicks out the Catholic Church from England in the 1500s, because he wanted to get divorced, they wouldn't let him get divorced. So he's like, I'm going to create my own sect of Christianity called Anglicanism. I'm going to kick out the church. Well, here's the problem. The church did the charity. The church was the one who who helped poor people. The church was the one who, like, you know, housed, you know, the, the destitute and stuff. So once he kicked them out, he kicked out all the infrastructure. So now the state had to do it. So you yeah. had Henry who, who, like a totalitarian, he merged two institutions, the church and the state. He was the head of the state. And now he was the head of the church and so all of a sudden so people started associating charity with government so they started to, the prejudice that they'd once had for for clergy now they were treating these corrupt politicians as if they were altruistic angels oh the you know and and, and you see that phenomenon still happening today you have one institution trying to do the job of another and it does it badly you get graft corruption you get all sorts of hor horrific social consequences because you're using a hammer to do what is supposed to be done by a screwdriver you know well, you mentioned the family breakdown um I'm, I'm working on a, on a bigger project and whatnot, and that's something I've experienced as far as I've done work on it, I've researched and whatnot. I think it's interesting to mention, to, 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 to look at that, because that family breakdown is, a res, is responsible for so many rules of society, whether, whether it be substance abuse, whether it be depression, whether it be obviously suicide. And we know that more than 80%, I don't know the exact number of those in prison, have come from fatherless homes. And yeah. it's not just the fa family breakdown. We're talking about fatherlessness. We are talking about, obviously, the role of the man in, in society. And that has been uh, deteriorated, mitigated. The man has been vilified. But, you know, that's an exa perfect example also where the government comes in, right? We know with the projects, with all the projects that they started implementing, I believe in the 60s or 70s, starting with the Imago Pruitt, I think in St. Louis, is they incentivized single familyness, right? Because if, if you know, if they, they came, they claimed to help. You know, they said, we're going to help you. We're going to give you we're going to give you a shelter. We're going to give you maybe food stamps and whatnot to get your feet on the ground. But but it seems like and correct me if I'm wrong. Or give me your thoughts on this. It seems like the process to get them on their feet was also there were obstacles from that same entity that was helping. Because the moment you got, say, if you were to get married and you still needed a little bit of help, there was no there was no balance. So they're like, well, they were incentivized not to get married, not to hide the man around and, and whatnot. So, so I would think that's a perfect example. And now here we are, we're reaping uh, the, the result of what is largely or where fatherlessness plays a huge, huge role. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, that was uh, Gunnar Myrdal. Uh, he, he was a, an intellectual out of Sweden and his wife Alva Myrdal is called the mother of Swe the Swedish welfare state. And that's what she called herself. She called it the welfare state. 
Um, and so Gunner was invited to come over to the United States and, you know, he was one of the chief architects of the great society. And so, yeah, so one of the things, and they even admit this, like behind closed doors, they admitted that it was a huge mistake to basically say, okay, we're going to cut your benefits if you have a man in the house. So what they did was they accidentally incentivized not having a man in the house. Cause if you have a man, oh, I'm going to get less money. So solution, no man. So, so all of a sudden you get this, you know, tsunami of, of, uh, you know, kind of, single parent homes. And um, I think, you know, I, I think if I remember correctly, that before 1940, African-Americans actually had higher marital rates um, than the white population. And now it's, it's upwards of 70 something percent of, you know, black families or single parent homes. And that leads to all sorts of, you know, sociological dysfunctions. And um, yeah, and that there was a, a book uh, from the 1790s by Thomas Malthus. And so Thomas Malthus, who's the economist, he was asking himself, how come the poor laws made more poverty, right? So what the poor laws were in England, after the Industrial Revolution, they started having machines do textiles. Um, so it was the first high-tech industry, right? Where you had machines doing something. All the weavers, the artisans who were originally doing it by hand, they lost their jobs because now, you know, with industrial production, the products are a lot cheaper. Uh, it could be done a lot faster. The machines don't have to sleep or take a break. So all of a sudden a sheet that would cost $100 now costs $20, you know? So, so it was good for the factory owner, but it devastated um, the the uh, the workforce, you know, the the original artisan workforce. So all of a sudden, all these people were out of work. And so what the government solution in England was was the poor laws, very similar to what we would later do in the 1960s with the Great Society. And in the poor laws, they just started giving poor people money. And now what this did, according to Thomas Malthus, he he was like, well, why is inflation so crazy? Why is everybody poor now because of this high inflation? And so what they did was instead of retraining these these people to be productive in something else, they basically were paying them to stay out of the labor pool. And when you pay someone to stay at large groups of people to stay out of the labor pool, there's less productivity. Less productivity means fewer products, right? And so now you have fewer products. And now the government is flooding the system with new money right in the form of welfare payments so you have fewer you have, you have more money chasing fewer products this led to sky high inflation to the point where i think by the 1790s it would take a worker a week's wages to buy a loaf of bread you know so this was caused by the government this was caused by the government's help right so they didn't actually alleviate poverty and there was actually more poverty after after the inflation that they caused because they were they were basically doing once again the two different institutions were at play here there's one institution called science and technology which mm -hmm. led to, to these, you know, revolutions that caused all this unemployment. And then another institution, the government, right? So the government was basically having to deal with what this other institution had done. And the government, instead of doing the, the, the wise thing, the logical thing, they did the easy, cheap, oh, give money. Let's just print fiat currency. Let's flood the system with, you know, because it was cheap and easy and they felt virtuous. Oh, I'm giving money. And they didn't have the wisdom to see that this would lead to hyperinflation and that this would lead to having tons of people out of the labor pool. I mean, so it, it, it is very, we need wise leaders and, and all republics rely on wise leaders, people yeah. who actually have long-term thinking. And instead we have a lot of short-term thinking and it's, and it's, you know, it's damaging. You mentioned hyperinflation. Uh, we're experiencing quite a bit of, of inflation now. And would you, do you think that all those packages we sent through, all that money we printed, trillions and trillions of dollars, unprecedented. You know, we've, we've printed money before and we've had stimulus packages and all this crap flowing out, but we obviously, we put out quite a bit. You would think that by now, these people would have known 
because there were others who were saying, stop doing this, stop doing this, especially after the first one. They were like, we don't, we're fine. We don't need this. This is going to lead to inflation. You know, the, the circles you, you and I go and the, and the outlets that we, that we read and whatnot, this wasn't a secret. So do you still think they were being virtuous or do you think there was another plan? Do you think it was intentional uh, that they would do this? For, to accomplish well, what we're accomplishing now, what they've accomplished now, if you want to use the yeah, word accomplish. Yeah, I mean, there, there's two answers to that, or two parts to a single answer. Um, and, you know, for the rank and file, I think there, there was a sociologist who did a study of this, and they noticed that, that societies make the same mistakes about, about every 90 years, right, in cycles, just like how England had the poor laws, then the United States, like, you know, had their welfare laws, which were, you know, I mean, they should have learned from the previous example. And so they were like, why don't people learn? And and why does it repeat every 90 years? And they realized that it was the span of life, the lifespan of somebody who was there at first, who, who had learned from the, the heirs, then yeah. he dies. And then when he dies, and the new generation comes up, they, they think that all history started with them. And they don't look back to see, okay, well, we did this before, what happened before? Uh, so, so that's part of it. Part of it is ignorance. Part of it is, you know, like a group of people, you know, who, who really don't, you know, they have the attention span of a gold, gold. How could that still be, though? I mean, we have footage now. We have, for instance, we're going to go into talk about what totalitarianism really is and why we accept it. But we have footage. We have footage of concentration camps. We have footage mm -hmm. and well-documented uh, documents of, of, of famines and things that all these totalitarian states did. How are we still forgetting and not 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 remembering? That's well, I mean, just well, I'm, 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 there's two groups. And that's why I said there was two two parts to that answer. There's one group, which is the rank and file people. And then there's the, the elite who actually do have long term thinking and do know what they're doing. Uh, but they, they can con they can get the public to go along with them because they can con them because the public, you know, is is woefully uneducated like you mentioned uh eastern i was just talking about you know liberal democracies and the mistakes liberal democracy had made in venturing into socialism um but the uh you brought up you know eastern european you know states and stuff like that communist states totalitarian states look at like hollywood hollywood does not teach hollywood will hitler 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 but they don't teach that Stalin killed, you know, more people, vastly more people than Hitler. Yeah. Why? Because they were sympathetic to communism and socialism. So they they always downplayed it. Like, why do we why do we teach kids they're called Nazis? They're not called Nazis. They're called national socialists. socialists. And they and to protect socialism, they they hide, oh, call them the nickname, call them Nazi instead of their actual name so that so that they can hide these things because they they very much want us to go into a, an integrated system a lot of what's happening now it was done previously in the in the in soviet union we're seeing a lot of the same you know people a lot of, with the, a lot of the same ideology these foreign imports coming into the united states and they're they're this is not americanism you know what we're what we're living through right now is there's a, a group of people a small though influential subset um, who like totalitarianism. They like they they believe and and to a certain extent they're right. They believe that democracy as it exists is too messy and irresponsible. And the reality is it is. Thomas Jefferson faced this. He was he was confronted by John Marshall and he said, well this system can't work unless you have an educated populace. And he says, and that's why it's our job to educate them up. Right. Yeah. But we dropped the ball over the last 70 years 
And instead of teaching people civics, instead of teaching them government, like you wouldn't expect somebody to know how to fix a car unless you gave them a car manual, unless you train them in doing car. Well, the government is a system, just like a car is a system. Yeah. You know, people need training in this and they're not given the training. So we have a very ignorant, uh, you know, voting population. And because of that, we have a lot of dysfunction. So a lot of these corporations are like, oh, this is far too dysfunctional. Let's bring in a Mussolini. Let's bring in fascism. He makes the trains run on time, you know, and, and so that's their their pitch is that totalitarianism is more efficient. Dictatorship is more efficient. And so that's, and, and, and in the short term, it seems to be, but in the long term, it's grossly inefficient because you can't have one institution carrying out the functions of another institution. It just does it wrong. It's yeah. not set up to do it. Like government is not set up to, to uh, regulate families. Government is not set up to get you a date. Government is not set up to make sure you don't have the sniffles. That's, those are not the, 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 the end goal of government. That's not their purpose you so you have it's, it's like asking a plumber to do your surgery it's like asking a stripper to do your your taxes <laughs> you know it, it's it doesn't work it leads to dysfunction so eventually all totalitarian states collapse you know like yeah. the soviet union did well we got here and i, I don't know if you disagree but I, i'm pretty sure you don't we got here because government started there was public education right and that has played a huge role in first of all, not teaching people what government really is responsible in, as in the Americanist context. And, and so it created this problem, and this happens over and over. It created a problem that now people want also that same entity who created the problem to fix it. This is, it's absolutely insane. It's absolutely insane. I want to transition into, you include a snippet from an interview with uh, Matthias Desmond, who has made uh, a lot of, you know, headlines and hubbub uh, with his book, which by the way is a bestseller already. Uh, I think it's, what's it called? The Psychology of Totalitarianism, or is that? Yeah, and, yeah correct. Uh, and so he talks about, in this clip that you show, I found it very interesting, and I, wonder, I wanted to get your take on this. He talks about how the totalitarianism, you call it a soft totalitarianism, and I think people would have a hard time, and we still do, you know, because on the one hand, we claim America is still, there's still hope, and I believe that. And on the other hand, I think we also agree there is a form of totalitarianism that has taken root. So <clears throat> he describes, like, we are not, what we are experiencing is not communism, and it's not necessarily fascism, and it's technocracy. Now, uh, can, you, can you quickly define the technocracy and then ans answer me this. Do you think that, that the reason, the fact that this is a new form of totalitarianism may be why a lot of people also do not recognize? And then we're going to go into the psychology, the hypnosis of, of, of people just not seeing what's going on. Sorry, yeah, did I make um, that too long? <laughs> no, that, that was absolutely fine. Um, yeah, the uh, the technocracy, to get back to the history of technocracy, that started in the 1920s with a guy named Howard Scott. And Howard Scott was an engineer. And as an engineer, he said, unless you can track it, you can't control it. So back in 1920, he he, he envisioned you know society being run, run along scientific lines. Now, this might sound very familiar to anybody who's seen tons of bodies in authoritarian states, scientific lines. We're going to run society um, and uh, we're going to get rid of the unfit and all this kind of stuff. And so, yeah, so Howard Scott uh, got a lot of traction and a lot of heavyweight intellectuals were, were mixed up with uh, technocracy in 1920. But at the time, they did not have 
the, the computing power to be able to track all the things that you would need to track to control a society, right? And so fascism jumped, you know, cut in line, communism cut in line, but really the, the, the fascination and all of these states, by the way, used elements of technocracy, you know, they would control people, they would tattoo people and, and you know, be able to track them and all, all these new, new systems. Um, and so anyway, but in the 1970s, Zbigniew Brzezinski, he was he was one of Jimmy Carter's, you know, uh, bigwigs. He was the guy who basically created Jimmy Carter and Barack Obama. And Brzezinski is this Polish aristocrat. He came came from you know Poland, came to the United States, and he basically was running the Jimmy Carter administration. And Brzezinski, when he was a professor, I think it was Columbia, he discovered these old technocracy uh, writings, these white papers from 1920. And he said, this is a great idea. Now we do have the computing power to be able to implement a lot of these, these solutions. So he created the Trilateral Commission. Uh, he, he created the SES, uh, the Senior Executive Service, to basically put corporations in charge of all of our departments in the government. Uh, so basically, he, he was fundamental in instituting technology. One of the, the things of technocracy, by the way, was uh, deep pegging money from supply and demand and, and pegging it to energy expenditure, right? Which became carbon credits. So the carbon credit thing is directly out of, out of the technocracy movement. So yeah, so since basically what happened was an, an institution outside of government called science and technology, like with the industrial revolution, they innovated, you know, and we got the relational database. We got new computing capabilities. And now a lot of these things became possible. And so that's why you see it starting to emerge now and in the form that it's starting to emerge now. And it's it's a corporate form of, although this does go back, there's there are elements of this in uh, fascist Italy, which Bernard Baruch also did. Um, and uh, they, they, Giovanni Gentile said that famously. He said fascism should more properly be called corporatism because it is the merger of state and corporate power. So yeah. you have you have integrated institutions like in a totalitarian state, corporate and state power merging two separate institutions as they should be with a firewall and instead they're blurring into one institution and that's the recipe for for totalitarianism would you would you say one which one would you say leans more on the other uh, I, I've seen, I guess, mixed results in that because we know that, for instance, we've seen uh, the press secretary for the White House say out loud that they've leaned and they've they've uh, admonished social media companies to, of course, to quash uh, to certain uh, certain opinions and things like that. And on the other hand, you had earlier mentioned BlackRock, and we know that that BlackRock and these companies, these corporate companies, they have great power in influencing uh, legislators and lobbying for for positions or or not. Would you say it's a little back and forth, or is it all, uh, as Christian, Christian Gomez, he likes to say that basically fascism is just one last step before we get to full-blown communism, where the government does have full control and it's all one big blob? Well, that, but it's more dangerous than even that because it's not the government having control. Because if the government had control, the people might be able to vote people out. What's more dangerous is BlackRock running the world where you can't vote out Larry Fink. Right. And so basically the United States, the Treasury made a huge error, tactical error. They basically when 2008 came and we had this financial collapse and all these companies were going bankrupt and, and you know, all these people were going to be, be out of jobs, uh, the government, you know, whether it was well-meaning or corruption or, or a mixture of both, they went to BlackRock and they said, hey, we're going to tap you. You're going to be the person who's going to go out and you're going to give bailouts to companies. So what BlackRock did was they said, hey, you're about to go out of business. I can give you this bailout, this golden ticket. I can give you all this free money from the treasury. It'll save you. But you, there's strings attached. The strings are you're going to adopt ESG, which is their new kind of you know woke propaganda stuff. And that's why you saw all these companies all of a sudden switch 
from being capitalist com companies where they would never offend their consumer base, their market base, to mm -hmm. all of a sudden having transgender people shaving with Gillette or all of a sudden having rainbow flags <laughs> everywhere. You know, They didn't want to do this. Like for instance, uh, one of these companies that went woke Target, uh, they were they were induced to uh, to to have transgender bathrooms or unisex bathrooms, they lost a billion dollars. You know, so none of these CEOs want to do this because they're going to lose money, and if they lose money, the CEO gets fired. So the CEOs do not like this woke stuff, but they're being blackmailed into it by BlackRock. <laughs> so they're, they're you know very very well uh, phrased. But just uh, I just wanted really quickly to touch what you you asked before about the psychology of totalitarianism, um, which uh, Matthias Desmet like talks about. Uh, John Stuart Mill covers this in uh, in considerations on representative government in 1861. So quite a while before Mr. Desmet, um, he talks about how in a republic, the people have to be trained to be active, right? They have to vote. They have to do jury duty. They have to do things in their community. They have to participate, right? They also, if they see a mugging in a republic, the, the people are basically de facto deputies and they'll stop a mugging. They'll stop a rape, right? They'll help the police, right? So because you have the public as part of the police force in a sense, we don't need a large police state because the public is active. The public will, will police you know, the, the, the community and make sure evil public is going check. Yeah, the public is moral, exactly. Like John, like uh, John Adams said, you know, our constitution was written for moral and religious mm -hmm. people. It is wholly inadequate to the governance yeah. of any, any moral other. person would have courage and the decency to stop. Like, unlike that, what happened in Philadelphia was a couple of years ago. Exactly. They all the sat on the subway and they watched yep. somebody being raped. Yeah. Surrounded by 100 people and they did nothing. And so John Stuart Mill said in a, in a despotism, in a Dictatorship that the people are trained not to be active but to be passive to say oh that's the police's responsibility I'll look the other way when you know when evil is happening um, and he and he gives an example that's really interesting he said that um, a, an active person if an active person sees something wrong with themselves they'll change it right uh, I'm fat I, I smoke too much whatever he takes it upon himself to change he said a passive person when he sees something wrong with himself blames someone else. So all of a sudden you see passivity training with like the woke indoctrination. Oh, your, your life isn't going so well. Oh, it's the patriarchy that did this to you. Mm. Oh, your life isn't going so well. Oh, Whitey, Whitey did this to you. you. know, They're being trained to be passive. They're being trained. And, and that's what he said. He, he said a, a republic requires an active population, whereas a despotism requires a passive population. And so all of this stuff is passivity training. Woke indoctrination is passivity training. Let's let's finish up with this. It's uh, going back to this massive, the, the this alleged massive hypnosis uh, that has. I wouldn't say just America. We can see at least in all over all over the West. And of course, a great example of that was 2020 COVID mania, and then you know the the subsequent months and years where it's they impose this this tyranny that I, I just can't imagine would have passed all over the world in a hundred years. But meanwhile, now, I don't know what the numbers are. I still think the majority were against it, but we know that there were a lot of people, enough of them, and we've met them, we've all met them, we've all seen them, whatever, who 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 didn't see what was going on. And of course, uh, Desmond's theory, and it sounds like it's not just his, and it, it may be even common sense, says these people are just hypnotized. Uh, they're just hypnotized. And then you go into uh, and you segue into what I find very interesting. And we all think about this, I think, as well, is that that hypnosis may also be a part in part, at least a result of higher education. You know, you're saying that, you you know, there, there there seems to be some correlation where the higher ed people, ha uh, education that people have, the more likely they are to believe this crap, to go along with it. And this crap being tyranny. Is that, I mean, 
so are you saying that smart people are really not as smart? <laughs> well, there's a distinction between smart and going through an institution. And I, I did a, a clip of Noam Chomsky saying that. He said that higher education is not a selection mechanism for intelligence. It's a selection mechanism selection mechanism for conformity. And uh, this is borne out. Uh, Mark Penn, who wrote a book called Microtrends Squared, uh, he has a book called The uh, The Impressionable Elites, or a chapter in the book, The Impressionable Elites. And he's a, he's a left-wing Democrat. He ran Hillary Clinton's campaign back in 2008. And um, so Mark Penn, who's no, no right-wing extremist, Mark Penn, in his book, as a Democrat, as a left-wing person, he, he in this chapter, he talks about how when you do polling and you do studies, the more that a person goes through the system, the educational system, they're not being educated, they're being indoctrinated. And he said that people in trade schools have far better developed critical thinking faculties than people with advanced degrees, because they're being trained to, to they don't believe logic and facts, they believe appeals to authority, right? And so that's what, how they're trained, you know? And and so like, you know, like you'll say something to a leftist and they'll say, oh, sources, citations, you know, he wants to know, like, you can't have an original thought, right? If you have an original thought, he's like, oh, well, someone has to have pre-thought this for you, right? To, I'll believe that the authority figure who's pre-thought mm. this for us and sources, citations. And so, um, so yeah, so they're being trained for appeals to authority, you know, which is what you would have in a dictatorship you know, or an authoritarian state. And uh, and so, yeah, so so he, he talks about that, like how basically um, they're, they're, they are being like, he and he gave an example as a Democrat. He said that with the Russia collusion, there was no evidence for it. But they outsource their critical thinking for, you know, to The New York Times or to the Southern Poverty Law Center or to any of these things who they they, they thought of as authorities. Right. Yeah. And, and as a Democrat, admitting that there was no evidence for Russia collusion with Trump, that that to me was was astonishing. But just to get back to your thing about hypnotism, I was reading a letter from 1798, but from Tom, Thomas Jefferson, and he was talking about the, the madness that happened during the Alien and Sedition Act uh, at the time where, you know, the Federalists were arresting Republicans and imprisoning them you know they were they were going after their political rivals and he said something very interesting to me he said that you know soon the the hypnotic he said soon the witch's spell will be broken and people will recover their true sight and that was interesting to me because he was living in a pre-scientific age where where religion was still part of the ontology so he saw it as a witch's spell because he didn't have the word brainwash that didn't exist yet he didn't have the word mk ultra so it was just interesting that he described the witch's spell and that's what's happening right now these people are being indoctrinated they're being hypnotized in, in a very real sense like uh, desmet says this he says uh, mass formation psychosis is not like hypnotism it is hypnotism so I'll, I'll leave it there do you do you think that we are on our way of of breaking this hypnotism. Of course, we see that more people are awakening. Uh, us being an activist in the education organization, we're seeing and growth and lots of people coming as a result of, of, you know, what they call is like, oh, you guys were right, you know, because we've been saying for a long time that these, you know, we started out by talking about all these institutions that were, that the, the, the connections between all these institutions that should not be connected to the government and government. We, we kept saying, we've been saying for 63 years, stop, stop, this shouldn't be happening. This is not government's yeah. place. There should be no Department of Education. There should be no part, Department of, of, of Energy, Reserve. no Department yeah. of Health and Human Services. These are not constitutional. And of course, unfortunately, not enough people 
people listen. But anyway, so 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 where we, I believe that we are where we are because now there has been that massive connection, that combination, and so now the two are working together. They're one big blob, and they're coming down on you, and you have all these people, and they've been brainwashed for such a long time. Some have never even been really exposed to true true liberty, the the notions of true liberty. Do you think there's a chance? Is there anything that you've read or heard where we've this this is a wake up call, right? Yeah, Do you well, think that well, people are being awakened? I, I, I cited Tom, I cited Thomas Jefferson, and Thomas Jefferson won. You know, and that's what he said. Like he woke up the public. He woke them up from the witch's spell, right? Yeah. And uh, and so Thomas Jefferson, he had to fight the Alien and Sedition Act, which was kind of the Patriot Act of its day, right? Yeah. Where it was ostensibly done to to fight, you know, foreign spies, you know, and and their allies in in the United States. And so they basically never went after a foreign spy, and they just went after Republicans. And they started arresting Republicans. We're seeing that now with the January sixth thing. Mm. This is repeat. History is repeating. So you have to go back to the past to see. Well, did we keep the Alien and Sedition Act, you know, forever? Did they win? Did the Federalists win forever? No. The Federalists eventually got discredited. They disappeared as a political party. The nation turned on them, hated them because of the Alien and Sedition Act, because of this power grab that they did. Jefferson fought them. He went to the people. He he woke up the people. He broke their their witch's spell, their hypnotic trance. He become he gets elected as president. And once he gets in, the very first thing that he does is he sacks, he fires the Supreme Court justice that allowed that 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 horrible anti-constitutional you know measure to go through. Jefferson was the only president in U.S. history to get rid of a Supreme Court justice. It had didn't happen hasn't happened since so he 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 won he won that fight so it is winnable it's a winnable fight uh, and that's the that's the white pill if we look to see what was done in the past you know and learn those lessons from history we can learn what strategies worked because a lot of like history repeats you know that there's there's a horrible thing about that but the good news about that is because history repeats we can see what worked and jefferson had the winning strategy so yeah we need to keep waking people up we need to keep educating them and not get demoralized because things come in waves things come yeah. in cycles eventually truth wills out so i believe that yeah yeah and and i don't i never saw the the point in being in giving up anyway like, you know, I guess my, my, my outlook is it's like I'd rather go down with the ship than, you know, be a slave. And so, I, you know, whether or not it's winnable. But I, I also I think people do need hope, to, especially others more than some more than others. And I'm, I'm glad that you said that when we'll finish with that. You know, it's like we wouldn't be here if we didn't think there was hope. You know, the fact that like you guys said in your roundtable, the fact that that, you know, Alex mentioned that I think you and Alex mentioned that how there are a lot of liberties that we still have this is a sign that it's 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 winnable and of course there are avenues to fight back daniel thank you so much for for man you know me and you we could probably talk for quite, for quite a while and I, i'd love to have you back on and by the way i appreciate i really appreciate your show i i love your references and whatnot and those of you who who are watching or listening and haven't uh, listen to the Daniel watch, or watch the Daniel Natal show. You can do so at thenewamerican.com. Thank you so much, Daniel, for joining me. Thanks for having me, Paul. It was a pleasure. So, folks, if you're watching or listening to this, you probably already know that our government is dangerously intrusive, ill-intentioned, and even inept. And if you're a John Birch Society member, you've known this for, for, for a lot longer. But what good is knowing that a problem exists without an action plan to fix it? Here at the JBS, we have pushed back against tyranny with education and organization, and we have all the necessary components in place to succeed. This is winnable, like me and Daniel said. 
So we provide the accurate information to neutralize today's propaganda news environment, and we provide organization to apply pressure where it will yield positive uh, results that lead to freedom. We've been doing this for 63 years. We got the battle scars to prove it. And many have credited us as the reason we still have an America to left to fight for. So you can learn more about what we do at JBS.org. And if you're ready to move ahead and join us in the fight, we'd love to hear with you, from you. So get in touch with a JBS coordinator. We've provided links in the description below to help you get started. And remember that whatever the societal problem, freedom is always the answer.